Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Wednesday, November 29th, 2017. And Wednesday is a great day because it's the third straight day we're doing a show, Wendy. This is fantastic. We're building momentum. We are. We were talking about before the show. We feel it right now. And oh my goodness, what a feeling it is. It's a feeling I want to transmit to all of our listeners as fast as humanly possible. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, toward that end, I've got to tell you about something that happened today, which I'll count as a win. I mean, almost anything that is good that happens to you, even if it's mundane, is a win. But this is a really good win. This is one that has happened to me before, but it's very infrequent, and it happened to me today. Now, I've told you that uh, in the past that I like to take a daily walk as long as the weather will let me. I mean, I don't like to do it in driving snow at 22 below. That's not all that much fun. But uh, you know, as long as the weather is somewhat tolerable to beautiful or anywhere in between there, I like to do a walk, usually about four or five miles. And I did that today. Now, here in Connecticut, today, this is the 29th of November. This is usually a fairly cold time of year. Um, today, the temperatures were hitting 62 Fahrenheit, which is really, really warm for around here. So oh. it was a beautiful day. I mean, I was in shirt sleeves. I didn't, didn't even have to wear a jacket. It was great. I loved it. So I'm out there. I have my headset on. I've got my positive music list that I play on my iPhone. I've got my headset plugged in. I'm walking along. and I'm just feeling cheery and so forth, greeting people and waving and smiling and so forth. And I got about halfway along and I almost had to stop myself and look around to make sure no one was watching because I started to giggle and laugh randomly. You're kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like I just, I, I'm just walking along. And <laughs> It's just like flowing out of me. <laughs> something like the Dalai Lama or something, because I hear he does that all the time. But, I mean, it was it was really something. It just kind of welled up inside of me and poof, it was pouring out of me. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. I, I, I've only experienced that once before, and it's quite a feeling, let me tell you. Do you have any idea what thoughts preceded this outburst of laughter? Just a lot of thoughts about how good I felt and I was excited about the show and, and how things are progressing. And now we've got co-hosts to cover two shows a day, which is going to start tomorrow, by the way. Um, and that, you know, just good things are happening. I, here I am out on a beautiful day and it's sunny and it's warm, relatively speaking, for November in Connecticut. And uh, there, there was just so many good things. So I, I was just enjoying all these really, really good things. And, and I think they just kind of added up, you know, they just kind of piled up one on top of the other. I don't have a better explanation than that. Well, and it sounds like the thoughts were so good that your body just couldn't contain them in your head, that you had a spontaneous outburst where your body just wanted to, like, make some noise. It, pretty much. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, was, it, it wasn't scary, and I like that fact. But it was a little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it well, was. You know, maybe some... Maybe some of the homeless people that talk to themselves and make these silly sounds out loud, maybe, maybe they're, they're connected doing. to something that they know that we don't. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's their connection to source energy coming out or something. I'm not sure, but Very possible. It, it was. Wow. Yeah. I, it, let's put it this way. I wouldn't mind if it happened again. <laughs> well, I just, it's like I want to acknowledge and celebrate with you because that, that is such an awesome experience. Yeah. And until you have an experience like that, nobody knows what that really feels like. I didn't even That's know what cool. it felt like. I mean, it, that, 
I don't know that other than that, I, this is the second time that it happened. And the first time was actually a little bit different. But it, this time it was just like joy was just welling up through my torso to pour out of my head. That's what it felt like. It was, it was like it was just, just you know, filling up inside and pouring out. <laughs> very, wow. very, very unusual feeling. Not one that I'm used to feeling, but I want to feel it more often. I like that one. That was a good one. Well, you, you know, a picture came to mind while you were saying that, you know, where it was welling out of your head, and I saw this waterfall. And, you know, in a nanosecond, you can have conversations in your head. And I just asked, what's the waterfall about? And what I heard was this is the abundance overflowing. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, that makes sense. That, that, I could see that that would be what, what the abundance overflowing would feel like because it certainly felt like and that. You know what, well, what's kind of ironic is, you know, I think it was on Monday we were talking about different modalities and how I'm visual and you're auditory. Right. And what's interesting is you had an experience where you could hear the exuberance and abundance, mm-hmm. and I just had a visual picture That's right. yeah. of the abundance. Yeah. <laughs> So at each, it, for each of us, it was interpreted through our primary modality. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, well, that's what I would expect, but it's nice to have the validation. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, good for you. Well, I'm thank happy you. for you. And thank I have you. a feeling more of that's coming. I think so, too. I, I may have to get a bucket so I can pour it into it, because otherwise I don't know what I'll do. It'll get all over the place. It'll be a mess. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I can share a win. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, on yesterday's show, I was talking about a coworker we, where we really weren't matching very well, and she was all in stress and anxiety and all oh, this right, stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, "Hey, I just want peacefulness and happiness, and this don't put your stress all over me," kind of thing. Right. So today, I had a really long call with her. Oh no, kidding! And it was, I mean, like four hour kind wow. of. Wow. Because I, I, I was training her on something. Oh, ah, okay. And it was fascinating because it was so delightful. Oh, nice. It was very peaceful. Ooh. Um, I could tell we were flowing at a cadence in how, what I was saying and how she'd ask questions. And it was just a beautiful back and forth. And I really kept thinking about what I had talked about with you on the radio yesterday and thought, my gosh, this is so different. And then I was thinking, I wonder what changed. I wonder how it changed. And even though I don't think we can ever really know, how we can kind of just speculate. Um, I know that I really heard her. Like, I really listened to what she said yesterday. Even though it was an unpleasant conversation, I took in the information she provided. And what I recognized was she and I have very different learning styles. Mm. And I don't know that I was teaching or training her in a way that met her style. Okay. And so... I thought, you know what? This is what makes me a really good trainer. I can adapt. I can adapt to any learning style. Absolutely. So I'm like, I'm, I just set the intention. I'm going to do what she needs in order to receive the information in a way that's filled with ease. And that's exactly what we experienced. And I loved it. <laughs> Fantastic. I loved it. So I, love, I don't know. I don't know if it was just because I set the intention. Well, no. I think it's not. I think it's not just one thing. I set a positive intention, but I was willing to listen, and I was willing to flex my muscles and not be rigid that I had to do it my way. And so I made some changes, but I did it all with my thoughts. And today I had a beautiful experience. So that's my win. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic win. And in fact, I can add one more 
layer to what you're saying there in terms of how, you know why this happened. Because uh, you're right, we're speculating. We don't know for sure what happened and why it happened. But I, I think we can point to something that seems very likely. Because one of the things we did yesterday, not necessarily with an intention of trying to influence the law of attraction or anything, but we just did it, is we talked about, well, what would you like the relationship to be like? And you spent quite a bit of time on that. Hmm. During that time, you were putting out some really strong, positive vibes. I'll bet you that vibration played a major role in what happened today. I think I think you're onto something because what I do know about how law of attraction works is when you're really intense on an idea and or you're talking about something where you're really feeling it for more than a minute, that's enough time for law of attraction to manifest something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm glad you added that. Thank yeah. you for your feedback. Yeah, I think it may have played a major role actually. So, yeah, very cool stuff. I like it. Yay! <laughs> it actually fits and, in nicely. Oh, is there an and? Go ahead. Tell us Tell us well, the I and. Was gonna say, and if we have anybody listening oh, yes. who wants to call in and share one of their wins, we are more than happy to indulge you and let that be on the air. And if you haven't noticed the number, if you're listening on the website and you haven't noticed the number, let me give it to you. It's 860 Five four three two. Obviously, you have to be listening live right now. We're recording this on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're catching us later on through a podcast replay or on PRN or whatever, don't bother calling in right now. It's not going to work for you. <laughs> but by all means, if you are listening live right now, we'd love to hear from you. And, and you know, if you have a win to share, hey, share a win. Or if you just have a question or anything else that you want to bring up, we'd love to hear from you. Um, now, I was thinking about a, com- uh, uh, not a comment, a, a topic for us to do today. And I, w- I was doing some reading because I don't know about you. I have not actually read all of the Abraham books. I've read a couple of them. I've read Ask and It Is Given. I've read that a few times. And I've read Money and the Law of Attraction. I've read that a couple times. But there are like five or six or seven different books in their series. And that means there are four or five I haven't read yet. So I said, well, I'm probably overdue, <laughs> and I started to do the little bit of research. I went to the Abraham Hicks website and went to the store and saw what was there and you know, said, okay, i got to start placing some orders. But I also knew I didn't want to wait, so I said, well, let's try the public library. That sometimes has you know some kind of out there books. You never know what they're going to have. So went to the right. local library website and found that they have – through ebook lending through hoopladigital.com, they've got the Essential Law of Attraction collection, which is actually three of the books in one. It's The Law of Attraction, Money in the Law of Attraction, and The Vortex. So those three books are all combined into this anthology, I guess you'd call it, called The Essential Law of Attraction collection. So I checked it out. What's that? Is it in digital format? Yeah, in digital format. So it's, it's, uh, you can basically read it in your browser. So so that's what I started to do. And the first book in the series, in the anthology, is The Law of Attraction, which is one of the ones I had not read. So I started reading it. And very early on, I got to something that I had never heard before from Abraham Hicks. Uh, Apparently, it's been here all along. And maybe it was mentioned in workshops that I never heard, which is quite possible. But nevertheless, it was right there, and I hadn't looked at it before. There are actually three universal laws that they lay out, not just one. 
There are three of them. Okay. I mean, we, we thought it was just it's, about the law of attraction. That's actually only law number one. There are two others. And there are two others that I've heard the names of before. I didn't realize they were intended to be described as eternal universal laws. The first one is the law of attraction. The second is the science of deliberate creation. How many times have we heard Jerry Hicks say that in the recordings? And the third is mm-hmm. the art of allowing. Those are actually universal laws. And I thought to myself, well, why didn't I know that before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I realized they were three separate laws either. And yeah. I've read that book a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's amazing what happens when you go back and reread stuff, let alone read it for the first time like I'm doing here. <laughs> but I'll do that with the other books. You know, I'll read stuff and I'll say, wow, did I miss that last time? It's amazing how deep these books are. They're, they're, on the surface, they look like they're just very repetitive. You know, they're like they're just saying the same thing over and over again. But when you really look at them and you study what the wording says and so forth, my goodness, there's so much meaning that's buried in this stuff. So, yeah. Anyway, let me read to you this section because it's really cool. Um, it's three paragraphs okay. that kind of outline this stuff. So the first paragraph says... Okay, so it's going to explain to us what those three universal laws are? Well, it's, yeah, it's going to touch on it. going to kind of give a definition of each one. Okay, fabulous. Yeah. So the first one is the law of attraction, which says that which is like unto itself is drawn. Now, I've heard that one before. I thought it was very awkward wording. They say, interestingly enough, while this may seem like a very rather simple statement, and I say, wow, you haven't spoken a lot of English. <laughs> <laughs> because that is a rather awkward phrasing in English. But, <laughs> but that's okay. Well, it kind okay. of reminds me of like ye old language. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it sounds biblical almost. <laughs> that which is almost, like unto itself yeah. is drawn. Hmm, okay. But it defines, in, in, as it says here, while this may seem like a rather simple statement, it defines the most powerful law in the universe, a law that affects all things at all times. Nothing exists that is unaffected by this powerful law. That's a great sentence. Nothing exists that is unaffected by this powerful law. And that's all it says about wow. law of attraction in the first paragraph. Second paragraph. Okay. The second law, the science of deliberate creation says, that which I give thought to and that which I believe or expect is in short you get what you are thinking about whether you want it or not a deliberate application of thought is really what the science of deliberate creation is about for if you do not understand these laws and deliberately apply them then you may very well be creating by default how many of us are guilty of that <laughs> you know already i'm fascinated that that is a separate law it's a separate law from the first one yeah because that to me has oh I've always called that a principle right of the law of attraction I never recognized or acknowledged that it was a separate unique I, law I didn't That's know so cool. yeah yeah and notice also that this mirrors the the traditional three step process too mm-hmm. three laws three steps because the third law this is of the, the third paragraph the third law the art of allowing says. I am that which I am, and I am willing to allow all others to be that which they are. Now, that's not what we would normally have expected about the art of allowing, but really, isn't that at the root of so much of where we stumble? It isn't so much about whether or not we uh, have have difficulty allowing. It's more about how we allow myself to be me and allow others to be themselves. You know what? That was such a short paragraph. Would you read that again? On the and this one is the law of allowing, right? Right. Yeah. This is actually the first sentence. I'll read the whole paragraph. It's just two sentences. Okay. The third law, the art of allowing, says, "I am that which I am, 
and I am willing to allow all others to be that which they are. And the second sentence says, when you are willing to allow others to be as they are, even in their not allowing of you, then you will be an allower. But it is not likely that you will reach that point until you first come to understand how it is you get what you get. That's the third paragraph. Holy cow. You know, just in those three laws, we could spend a lifetime meditating on those ideas. Those are so power-packed. I, I figured at the very least we could do a show on it. <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah, and we'll probably do a very abbreviated show. Yeah, really. Um, based on what, what it really has to say, we probably just have a finite amount of information we can provide to it. Wow. I do have to say it's nice to know that this isn't just some nice phrasing that, that Jerry Hicks came up with. Because he says That's it, right, in, in all the introductions to all the different workshops and books online and books on audio and everything that they do, you know, they, they talk about the, the science of deliberate creation and the art of allowing workshops. Mm-hmm. And it, it just sounds like some marketing phrase he came up with. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, oh, aren't those cute little words that yeah, they right. together? <laughs> I didn't realize they were universal laws. <laughs> But it huh. also makes sense when you think about it. The, the, the science of deliberate creation, let me reread what that law says. That which I give thought okay. to and that which I believe or expect is. So really, that, that's what we often associate with the law of attraction, isn't it? I mean, when we, right. when we try to find Right, and like it. when I was talking about my win, yeah. you were saying how we gave a lot of thought right. to that topic yesterday. And so, you know, that's what showed up. Yes, but the law of attraction, what it actually says is that which is like unto itself is drawn. So the law of attraction is talking about a, it's not a modality so much as it is an action. It's an activity that happens. It's a it, kind of like magnetism or electricity or radio waves. You know, they, they flow, they fly, they pass through the air, whatever it is. You know, they, they're, they're talking about the law of attraction, something that, that takes an action. Whereas the science of deliberate I, creation, I think, that's about a I thought. Think of the law of, I think of the law of attraction as a mechanism. Yeah, a mechanism. That's a good word for it. Yeah, it's a mechanism that just causes things to occur based on certain stimuli. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the stimuli are what are found in the second law, which is what we think about. That which I give thought to and that which I believe or expect is. That which I believe or expect is. You know, there's something about a sentence that ends with the word is that to me is like the most giant exclamation point that you can have. Well, especially when you see it in like, writing because between expect and is is a gigantic dash. <laughs> wow. What you expect and what you believe is. Right. Hmm. Which makes sense, really, because it, especially when you think of it in terms of what uh, Abraham Hicks often says, that a belief is a thought that you think over and over again. Mm -hmm. Well, they've got both thoughts in here. They've got that which I give thought to and that which I believe or expect is. They're, they're basically saying the same thing more in this informal, what they call simple statements and what I call strange English. <laughs> Well, and so if you look at, like, I think very linearly, so a thought, when thought many times becomes a belief, and when a belief is thought often, it's something that you expect. Right. Yes, that's it. And so it's, I, I kind of see it as, I don't think you can start out with an expectation without having a lot of thoughts coming before it. 
Or at least repeating okay. the same thought over and over again. I mean, you, you can just stay on that same thought over and over again and just generate into existence by focusing on it alone. It's kind of tiring. It kind of wears you out. But you could do that. Yeah. So a thought amplified is a belief, and a belief amplified becomes expectation. Yeah. And expectation amplified. That's kind of what I get become, out of it. Becomes manifest. It becomes physical. And that's that's the that's actually the the the, the um that, that that's the controversial part of the law of attraction, isn't it? Or as we understand the law of attraction, most of us, the, the controversial part is that when you think about it, it becomes a physical thing or a physical experience, and yet it's core to the whole to the whole process. But that that's where all the controversy is. I mean, you say this whole thing to somebody who's not a not a, a student of the law of attraction, not a believer, not into Abraham Hicks, not into the secret, all that. That's the part they're going to reject. Because how how could thoughts possibly produce things? But the more that we look at it, the more we realize, yeah, it's doing it all the time. It's constant. It's an ongoing activity. It never stops. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you. The, for me... The, the one thing that I studied during my, my process, my term, my experience of, of learning how all this stuff works, when I was trying to make sense out of it, especially early on, the one thing that I got to that kind of clicked the light bulb on is in the realm of quantum physics. Now, LOA gurus kind of throw quantum physics around like, you know, they're yesterday's lunch and so it's not a, you know, a big deal, but it's actually a very big deal in one very particular way. If, if you, if you strip away all the, the, the layers of stuff that the LOA crowd have dumped on quantum mechanics, because quite honestly, we've, we've done that as, as a, as a crowd. But if you strip all that away and look at what's actually in there from a, an atomic physicist's point of view, the one thing that really jumps out at me is what is often called the observer phenomenon or the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It has a number of different names. And in this phenomenon, what, what basically happened is one day they were studying subatomic particles through, I think it was through an atomic microscope. I'm not 100% sure, molecular mi- microscope. And they were um, noticing and taking observations about I don't remember what the, the setup of the, the experiment was, but they were they were taking measurements on particular subatomic particles, and they noticed that they were getting some skewed results. And after messing with it for a while and theorizing and so forth, they finally realized that the skewed results happened whenever they were actually observing the experiment. And when they when there was nobody actually observing the experiment, they were just letting the machine just you know track stuff. They got the different result. Mm-hmm. And, and that became the basis of what's known in scientific circles as the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Well, if you think you know, about it's, that, it's, inter- it's interesting that you say that because I've heard of this before. Mm-hmm. But I always had the question: How did they know what the results were when it wasn't being observed? But now you just answered that question. So they did something that just was kind of set yeah, they, on autopilot, and yeah, they just ran an autopilot and recorded. Right. You know, they, they they weren't actually sitting there at the console, so to speak. Got it. Yeah, and. The more I thought about that particular result, the more I realized that it completely upsets everything that is known within traditional science. Because traditional science is based on the scientific method, right? The idea of observing and hypothesizing and testing and building theories and all that kind of stuff. And a key component of that is the observing part. 
the, the theory behind the whole thing, the sort of the axiom behind the scientific method is that if you observe independently and objectively and without bias, emotional bias, you can learn what the science is teaching you. You can learn what your, your observations are teaching you. Well, here comes an experience that tells us that the observation skews the experiment. How do we know that doesn't happen in other ways? How do we know that all of the experiments aren't skewed by the observer and we just haven't detected it yet? Because well, I truly believe that's the case. Because, I, I mean, if, if it excuses it in one case, you have to assume that it could happen in other cases. Not that, you, that you've proved it, just you have to kind of assume that. You, it's just the whole, the whole doubt thing that scientists get involved in. You have to be a doubter. And if you have reason to doubt, well, you've got to keep doubting all over the place. And that skews that that skew of of the data skews the entire scientific method from my perspective, because what it really says is we can't consider any observation to be objective, not truly objective. It's all got to be subjective. It all has every time that you're observing something, you are subjecting it to your observation. Well, you know that reminds me of like protest groups or any group of people coming together for the purpose of uh, resisting something and mm. or making change. Oh, okay. How come? So, well, whenever a group um, is, stands for something with great intensity, whether positive or negative, mm -hmm. and they start to come up with, you know, they have statistics that back up their position, um, I am not swayed by st the, their statistics in a big part to what you just explained because I know like because I love numbers and I love you know mathematics and I love to analyze information and when I've done this you know in a job scenario I've recognized that when I'm just analyzing the data and I have no judgment I have no ga uh, skin in the game if you will like I have no idea how or why and I don't care right. what the numbers end up saying um Oftentimes, when I've had, you know, upper management for me saying they're trying to prove a certain point, I'm like, oh, I can give you statistics that do that because I know how to take the raw data mm -hmm. and line it up in a certain way mm -hmm. that favors the position of my upper management. Or to put now, it in mundane terms, you can make statistics show anything you want. Exactly. Because on the contrary... I can also show something that disproves what my upper management is right. wanting to build a strong business case for, but I choose to delete that information. <laughs> and that's why statistics to me, I just laugh every time someone throws statistics around right. simply because it's all about what direction do you want it to, to go, yep. you know, and it's part of the expectation and it's part of the observer thing. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, while you were talking, I was kind of getting this idea, and I've never thought about this before, but I wonder, like, for the peak kind of groups that I'm talking about, like, you know, I, I don't want to name any because I don't want to say anything negative about any particular sure. group because yeah. I don't really have a skin in the game. Sure. But, like, let's say you have somebody who's really against something going on, and they're really trying to affect change or change the laws or whatever. Well, what I know is when somebody comes into um, an organization like that because they have a lot of prejudiced beliefs, a lot of bias towards a certain, 
you know, yes or no or certain direction, they're coming in with a lot of resistance Mm -hmm. to what is. Oh, yeah. And resistance alone, we know, is going to thwart, not only thwart their efforts, but resistance is the opposite of what I believe you were reading Universal Law Number 3 was. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it doesn't actually use the word resistance, but it says, I am that which I am, and I am willing to allow others to be that which they are. And if you're trying to say, I don't like what you're doing, that obviously is coming with resistance. It's saying, I'm not okay with you being who you are or doing what you do, right. because I want to change you. Yes. <laughs> and that's like the opposite of you know, it is what it is. And isn't it interesting that when we phrase it that carefully, it becomes so obviously futile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. It's just totally futile. Try, trying to make somebody else behave the way you want them to behave and to think the way you want them to think is futile. It just doesn't it work. So, <laughs> no, you're totally right. It is futile. Um, and that's why when I was saying the other day how when I learned that I am the creator of my own reality, I got really excited mm. because it meant I could control me. I now understood that I had the controls over me and my responses to things. And I, I started to accept, obviously I can't control the world because if I could, it would have happened already because I put an <laughs> awful lot of effort into it. I resisted the heck out of people left, right, and all over and their behaviors that I didn't like, and I got nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laughing because I've done exactly the same thing. I suspect any of our listeners could probably say the same thing, too. I mean, well, is there anybody I'm who looking, hasn't I'm done it? I'm looking for, you know, how can I fix the world? And the information that came back to me is, no, Wendy, you can't fix the world, but you can fix yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I was like... Oh, and then, I don't even know if it was Law of Attraction or in some other format that I learned, that when I adjust how I respond to the stimuli that comes to me, that is what gives me peace. Mm. That's what gives me a sense of satisfaction. And in that, I had begun to actually accept, oh, well, other people are who they are, and I stopped having such a negative reaction to people being who they were in their negative behaviors, mm-hmm. it's like, okay. And I'll tell you, the biggest one for me and the biggest challenge was, can I watch and experience somebody being in all sorts of negativity in my environment, whether with me on the phone or whether they're standing in front of me, and have no negative charge on it and mm. just go, well, that's them. That's, that's a okay. great goal, though. And I'm not going to rock. I'm not going to rob them of their experience. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm going to let them have it. And I'm just going to stand back and watch. And today, I've even phrased it even more different where I go, well, they're providing me some information. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The the information is X, Y, Z happens, and this is how they respond. And it has nothing to do with me. That's right. Exactly right. You, you, and I like that part. It has oh, yeah. To do with me. <laughs> you, you should like it. That's a good thing to like. I, I'm also struck by something. You, you brought up the analogy of statistics. And we talked about how you can make statistics say whatever you want them to say. And when you were saying that, I was looking at the words of the second law, the science of deliberate creation, and all of a sudden equating them and realizing that people 
who manipulate statistics to say what they want them to say are trying to deliberately create. And they're doing it by changing the way they expect to see the data. They're changing their perspective of how that data is going to look to them until they can convince themselves that they should believe it's actually something else. And sure enough, it manifests as something else. Really interesting. I mean, think about it. That's the way deliberate creation actually works, isn't it? We focus on the way we want something to be, and we, if we stay with it, and we stay with it because we prefer it and we like it, it tends to come out the way we want it to come out. It also yeah. reminds me, too, of, of I, I, I've mentioned Sean Aker to you, and I, I guess you probably haven't um, heard a lot about Sean Aker, um, but he does this great TED Talk. If you get a chance, look it up. It's like a 10-minute TED Talk. It's really, really funny. One How do you spell Aker? A-C-H-O-R. And in this okay. TED Talk, he he says, one of the things that I've been told is that when you do a presentation, you should not start your presentation with a graph. I'm going to start my presentation with a graph. <laughs> and he puts up a picture I like him already. of an XY axis. And it's got a, a, a parabola. Actually, it's a, more like a hyperbola type um, shape. It's, and it's a perfect curve going up to the top of the Y axis and over to the, to, the left, to the right of the X axis. So it's a nice, perfect curve, nice and smooth. And it's full of dots that are in a perfect alignment. I mean, it's just an absolutely pristine mathematical curve except for one dot that's sticking up way over on the side. <laughs> and he says, Uh-oh. now there, there, there's a couple things you need to know about this, this graph. First of all, it represents fake data. <laughs> and second of all, I want to point out that outlier dot that's over there. Because when you take statistics in college, they teach you that through the use of mathematical laws, you can remove that dot. And so you do remove that dot because it's messing up your data. And if you can remove that dot, it will clean up your data and you can get published, which is what counts. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's like considered legitimately acceptable. Oh, yeah. There, there are ways you can do that mathematically. That's one of the ways they manipulate statistics. Um, oh, my. Oh, yeah. We can go into a whole discussion about that. And he was doing well, a, tell, he was I making not, a joke out of I it. I did not study statistics in school, or I would have <laughs> known that little fact. <laughs> he was clearly making a joke, and, and he was ribbing statisticians by doing that. But he was also trying to make a point. His point was that his whole career is not about removing that dot, but about studying it. Because to him, hmm. the most interesting part of the entire graph is that outlier dot. Because here we have a perfect curve. Let's pretend that perfect curve represents the norm for humanity. And then there's this dot that's way, way up on the grid. He says, well, that's where we're trying to get to. Why wouldn't I want to learn more about that dot so I can move the whole curve up to where that dot is? He says that's what gets him up in the morning. That's what makes him motivated to study positive psychology. That's what made it, makes him motivated to go out and help corporations, which he does on a regular basis, You know, bring, going into you know departments that have crashed because the company's in disarray and he goes in and helps them get back under their positive feet again and, and get their, their juices going and get their company going again. He, he does that for a living and he does it purely based on he wants to raise everybody up to where that outlier dot is. And I thought to myself, wow, now there is an example of deliberate creation because he's going completely really? against the norm and saying, I don't care about where that graph is going. I'm interested in the outlier. Very cool. 
Well, <laughs> until you were saying that he wanted to bring everybody up to the outlier's position, mm-hmm. I I don't know that I pictured in my head where that little outlier dot, dot was. Oh, yeah, it's like but kind I of in the think- northeast, so to speak. <laughs> Well, and I, w- I was thinking about how sometimes I feel like I'm the outlier dot. Ah. <laughs> um, it's kind of like one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. I have felt like that. Not from a, oh, poor pitiful me, I don't feel like I fit in position. But when I talk with other people, like I go out into the world and talk to people, mm-hmm. I feel like my points of view are so different oftentimes than other people's. Um, And what's unique about what I'm about to say is that I just felt like I was out there kind of alone, you know, and for a long time I called myself a pioneer and a maverick, and I still think I have a pioneering maverick spirit. But there came a point that I went, I don't want to feel out here by myself. Mm. If I'm doing this really cool maverick kind of new pioneering world or coming up with new thoughts and ideas that are really exceptional, I kind of want to share them with people, and I want people to be on board with me. I don't want to do this alone or in a vacuum. And what was fascinating is, i got to tell you all, for years I really focused on being out there on my own, that there was no one like me. And then one day I went, you know, that's not possible. There's, what, 7 billion people on the planet? Mm Mm-hmm. There's probably others like me. I just haven't met them. Uh-huh. You know, even if there's one person out there in Indonesia or in Greenland, <laughs> you know, they're not in a proximity that the chances are I'm going to meet them in person. <laughs> but they probably exist. And so I started focusing on if there's if there are others like me, I really want to meet them. Mm-hmm, and sure. the more I thought about it and the more I focused on that, the more I started meeting people who think just like me, uh-huh. who have ideas like yourself, mm-hmm. just like me. And I got to tell you, that came from changing the focus of what I was, well, changing the thoughts of what I focused on yeah. habitually. And so I think that fits one of the laws. Isn't that law number two? It is, yeah, it is. It's science deliberate creation. That which I give thought to and that which I believe or expect is. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it started to show up, and now I could say, now I'm living in the is part of that statement right. <laughs> on this topic. And mm-hmm. so it's cool because we literally can shift our thinking from any position to another position, and if we give it enough focused attention, it becomes an is. Yeah, it's really changing our is, mm-hmm. which is which is not the way we are used to thinking about the word is. We think about the word is normally as something that is just kind of objective and independent from us, but it's not. We change our is anytime we want to just by changing what we're focusing on. And that, 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 that's so just that's how a, universal this is. That's a good book was. title, Changing Your Is. Changing Your Is, yeah. <laughs> that is a good book title. I love to play with book titles. I love that. Changing Your Is, that's yeah. what I'm going to focus on today. I, I'm going to change my is. <laughs> It's kind of you expect to see on the self-help bookshelf at uh, Barnes & Noble or something like that. <laughs> well, see, now that we're putting it out there, I don't have to be the one who writes the book because <laughs> I'm kind go. of putting that thought out there, and somebody else might write the book Somebody else will. That's is. right. <laughs> <laughs> but the oh third my. law, the third law is the one where I think we trip up most often. 
That's the one that says, I am that which I am, and I am willing to allow all others to be that which they are. And that has so many different repercussions because the art of allowing is really the art of releasing. It's letting go. It's letting go of trying to change others. It's letting go of misperceptions and misconceptions we have about ourselves. It's just letting go. It's a whole lot of letting going going on. What is letting going going on? <laughs> I think. Well, let's, let's take that one apart because I think num- the law number three is probably like the biggest, baddest, maybe even the bestest. Exactly. Yeah. So let, let's take it apart. What's the very first piece of that one? So it's in two pieces. The first part is I am that which I am. It's very Descartian okay. in a sense. So I am that which I am. So let's talk about what we think that means. Okay. You first. (laughs) If I am that which I am, that's saying to me that who I am doesn't need to be changed or altered. Who I am is perfect just like I am. And who I am feels very powerful and bold. Mm. Like, because like in biblical, um, in the Bible, it says God is the I am. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember in, you know, in my religious days, that was a big, big statement. God yeah. saying, I am. Mm-hmm. So if Abraham is saying that the third universal law is I am, which I am, that's like saying, I'm powerful, I'm mighty. Of course you are. Yeah, he- and, and but it's accepting that. Yeah. Accepting yeah. that I am that I am is a really big, bold statement, and I think that in itself is something that I've spent a long time moving toward, and I kind of do feel like I'm in that space of I am who I am, I am what I am. I may not say it exactly in those ye old English words, (laughs) but I don't feel the need to alter me anymore. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have things I want to change because I have big wants, but the essence of who I am is the essence of who I am. And I've made peace with that. Yeah, I, I find that I'm stripping away the stuff that we often call resistance. The, you know, the things that I resist in my, my mental capacity, so to speak. And uh, I've been doing a lot of stripping away lately. And what's left over is what I am. It, it, what I am kind of emerges when I strip all that stuff away. That's what I'm beginning to realize. I think that's why I was laughing today. I mean, I, I didn't really think of it in these terms when it happened, but ultimately, I, that was just an expression of the joy of being me out there, having a good time, walking down the path in the middle of Connecticut on a warm fall afternoon. And I didn't have to answer to anybody. I didn't have to explain or justify or get anybody else to behave the way I wanted them to behave. I just enjoyed me being out there. I'm kind of getting the, you were just being the I am that I am. And what was the is was good. Yeah. I was perfectly fine with what the is is, which is exactly what Abraham Hicks has been trying to tell us. They, they're saying no matter what happens in your life, just enjoy the is. And the more that you do that, the better you feel. And the better you feel, the more you gain control over your ability to use the law of attraction and the science of deliberate creation to your own benefit. Absolutely. So what's, now, what's the second half of that law? Well, the second half of it is, I am willing to allow all others to be that which they are. 
okay, that's almost the harder piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is for most of us, yeah. There, there's like it, it's almost like we have a card that we get, you know, a membership card when we come into this world. Okay, you are now a card carrying member of the Let's Change Everybody Else Society. <laughs> well, and you know the way I've heard Abraham describe it, and also the way I I feel like I've experienced it as well, is, you know, when we come into the world, we're small little things. We don't really know which way to go, and we're, you know. There's a lot of stuff we yet need to learn how to be in this physical world. And so we watch usually our parents or our older siblings, and we see what they do. And then in the process, they start telling us what they want us to do or how to do it. Oh, yes. And then we very quickly recognize that they kind of hold their sense of approval of you oh, in yeah. their hands. Oh, yeah. Because if you don't do it the way they want you to do it, they withhold their approval. And that doesn't feel good. And I think that's how we start to get trained away from being okay with who we are and start to judge other people for who they are. Because, of course, as we get a little bit older, then we start to have a, um, a little bit more sense of um, consciousness. And we're like, well, I don't like that. Because now we have new filters in our brain that we don't have when we're really little, but we start to, um, they start to develop as we get older. Right. And so we have more uh, critical thinking, and we can, and not, not critical from being negative, but critical as in we can evaluate. And so if we eva evaluate, we don't like a behavior in another person, most likely we have already experienced and watched what other people do when other people, this is going to be a weird sentence, in other words, let me stop that sentence because I was going to go in a really ugly, ugly oh, okay. place that I wouldn't be able to get out of. So I'm going to say it this way. Just suck it all back. <laughs> We've had modeled to us how to judge other people. Yes. So if a parent doesn't like a certain behavior at the grocery store of the way the clerk treats them, we learned that the behavior of that, that clerk was bad. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning of us learning how to not accept other people for being who they are and that's how we get trained in it this is where it, the whole concept of source energy starts to become really interesting to me because what we're really talking about there when we especially when we talk about tapping into source energy tapping into who we really are in both the physical and non-physical world and all that kind of thing what we're really talking about is how to refuel ourselves and how to keep that fuel coming so that we have energy so we feel empowered. So we feel like we have the ability to do what we want to do in life. And all of what you're describing in terms of that, that dysfunctional behavior where we're taught very early how to get other people to behave the way we want them to behave is really very little more than trying to take someone else's energy because we don't know how to tap into our own. We haven't learned that or we've forgotten it or whatever. But the point is, we are not at that moment in time tapping into our own energy, and we need it. We feel the need. We need that energy to feed us. So we try to steal it from somebody else. So much of this whole thing about how we're going to allow other people to live or to what degree we're going to let them be the way they want them to be and how to what degree we want them to be the way we want them to be ourselves and then what kind of control we're going to have, it's all about energy stealing. I'm being quiet only because I'm really trying to absorb everything you're saying. I haven't thought about 
your the subject in this way. Yeah, it's not the way we normally talk about the law of attraction. I, I guess that's what happens when you're married to a former psychotherapist. You pick up this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. It, it's one of those, you, you know, when, when I was first considering whether to ask Louise to marry me, I was, you know, doing the, you know, am I in love with her? Is this going to last forever? Um, you know, what are the pluses and minuses of the relationship and all that kind of stuff? And I realized one of the really big pluses is it's actually a good thing to be married to a psychotherapist because man, <laughs> it's right there. You don't have to. It's not like you have to go to therapy somewhere. <laughs> and of course, there are certain so roles she can't that, approach. That, that you know, was the but tipping still. point for you. <laughs> no, it wasn't a tipping point, but it, but it was certainly a plus. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And it's huh. amazing. The, the the funny part is she'll tell you that when you're a psychotherapist in a relationship with somebody else all of a sudden you can't get away with stuff anymore <laughs> because because she explains to me she teaches me a lot of the stuff that she learned over the years and so I'll throw it back at her and she'll say oh rats now I can't get away with it <laughs> that's so funny when when I was married um my husband and I at the time we would go to NLP courses together yeah um yeah. And we would both learn the same process and how to do certain things, and we'd understand um, what it means when certain people say things, which is probably very similar to what you're saying, you know, because Louise has her whole background of psychotherapy. Right. And so I would try to communicate with him in a way that I learned was really effective and, and would help to kind of get underneath the issue and bring things to the surface. And he'd just look at me and go, I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Don't even try pulling that on me. <laughs> uh, and then likewise, he would try, try doing it to me, and I'd look at him and i said, you know I know what you're doing. Don't do that on me either. <laughs> oh, that's when... It's not good when both people know the same pieces of information. <laughs> well, our inside joke is, wow, we can't get away with anything around here. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> oh, okay, now, if I know we're laughing, but if you can go back to the subject we were just talking about that I said I was being quiet, I'm really interested in hearing more of that thought. I, I'm not perhaps the best person to teach it, but I'll, I'll teach it as well as I know. Okay. Every, everyone desires energy, and a lot of what we do in life is about replenishing energy, because energy is how we get ourselves to get up and try something new, to go out and do something, to you know make a change in our life, to anything. Anything that we want to reach out and try to do requires some energy. If you don't feel energy of any kind, that's depression, right? When you're depressed, you don't feel like you have any energy at all. So it, we're all seeking energy at all points in time. Now, the ideal, the normal, if you will, the, the functional person is the person who knows how to draw their own energy from within their inner being. Um, that's where spirituality and metaphysics and so forth come into it. And that's the, the a lot of sense. Yeah. And there, there are other people who haven't really learned how to do that or they've cut themselves off from it. Or as Abraham likes to say, you've pinched yourself off. And they've been mm -hmm. pinched off for so long, they don't even remember that they can do it that way. So their whole thing is to try to get energy from somebody else because they've got to have it. I mean, we try not to get perhaps into you know specific people and so forth, but I'll pick a famous one because he's on everybody's minds. Or not everybody's. He's not on my mind, but he's on a lot of people's minds. And that's President Donald Trump. 
President Donald Trump is a classic energy stealer. I mean, he goes out there, and this is long true, too long before he became president. He goes out there and he, he attacks opponents and he puts all this negative spin out there and he tweets all these controversial things. They could be racist, they could be sexist, they could be, you know, damaging to international relations. Doesn't matter. His purpose in doing that is he wants to get energy. Even negative energy is energy from his well, perspective. Actually, there really isn't such a thing, and that's another topic for another day. But from his perspective, even negative energy, as bad as it tastes, is still energy he can use. So he's waiting for that wave of hatred and anger and vitriol to come back at him. How could you possibly say all these terrible things and yada, 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 yada? And that's what he thrives on. That's why he does it. And that's why my wife pointed out when he first got elected, if you want to stop Donald Trump, stop paying attention to him. Thank you. <laughs> Just don't. You, that he so what wants I'm that attention. Is stop fueling that fire. Stop fueling it. Every single bit of whatever that you throw back at him, even if you're just doing it quietly, you're not posting it somewhere, is feeding him. And he knows it. Well, you know, in a more positive side of that, because same concept, but still, but somebody who models it on the positive, I've heard Tony Robbins say a number of times how, you know, because people will say, how on earth are you able to keep doing what you're doing? Because Tony will keep you going for 12, 14, 15 hours. He wears you out silly with how exhausted you and the audience are, but he's still going, and he looks as fresh and alive when he's still doing his thing at 2 a.m. Yeah, he's the Energizer he's Bunny. <laughs> he's what? The Energizer Bunny. Yeah, totally. But it was fascinating that his response to that was that he gets so much energy from the audience. Of course. That, you know, he's giving to them, but he said what he gets back is so much more. And based on what you said, it's like, well, duh. You know, he's getting so much energy. I mean, years ago, he might have six or 700 in his audience. Now he has a couple thousand at a time and sometimes right. way beyond that. You know, that's a lot of energy coming at one individual. And because they're loving him, mm -hmm. I know when I've been in his audience, I was loving him and adoring him and so appreciative of what he was teaching that, sure, energetically, I was giving back to him, even if I maybe wasn't aware of it. But I can say today, yeah, I oh, guess absolutely. I really was. Oh, you definitely And you were. multiply that by 2,000 people. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of energy. There is. It's why actors and actresses act. They love that yeah. attention. Um, so Lawrence Olivier was once interviewed um, after a long career, he was interviewed and asked, why do you continue to do this? You have accomplished everything you could possibly accomplish in your career. Why do you keep doing this? And Olivier turned to the interviewer and said, look at me, 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 look at me. It was his way of saying, I love the attention. I crave it. I eat it up. Well, now let's go back to President Trump. And he doesn't just get the energy from people in one audience because his sound bites are going on all over the globe. Yeah. So he's getting attention from hundreds and millions and probably billions of people across the globe. Mostly negative. <laughs> and you know what? But if he doesn't care and That's he's right. okay to just accept what is is is, <laughs> and he's I'm getting the energy. I'm sure it's because he doesn't know how to tap into his own. I'm certain of it. There's no way that he would go through all that trouble if he knew how to tap into his own energy. So that he needs it. 
he thrives on it. And if, if it were somehow cut off, and I don't see that happening anytime soon because there are so many people who want to attack back. But if, by some miracle, the entire media were to shut down and just go dark on President Trump, and if all of the people who are on the left or his political opponents also went dark, I swear to God, the man would implode. <laughs> I mean, he would have Please, no they, source of I energy just anymore. Resign? This isn't fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty much. <laughs> Well, actually, he probably tried to, back to real estate. He, he tried to stir it up even more. He, he, you know, hammer the the gongs even harder to try to get more reaction, most likely. But yeah, it, wow. it, it would just thwart him. It would just absolutely thwart him. So, I don't know if that's positive or negative, but it, it's funny. <laughs> well, and I'm going to look at it through this this lens. It's information. It is information. Yes. You know, you you provided some new information. It's causing me to think a little bit different. And I know when I get off this. You know, when we're finished with the show today, I'm going to really ponder this idea. Um, and hey, at, at the very least, at the very least, maybe it makes it easier to implement the third law, the second part, which says, I am willing to allow all others to be that which they are. I am willing to allow Donald Trump to be that which he is. I'm just not going to pay you know, any attention really, to it. I'm one of those people. I really am okay him being who he is. I've got a lot. I. I, I you know, have a lot of Facebook friends that throw out a lot of political comments, and there's so many negative things about President Trump, and I don't discuss it with any of them because I know very well, at least I feel pretty certain, that if we were to have a discussion, if I were to open my mouth and say, you know, I'm okay with who he is, I have no judgment one way or another, they'd probably be throwing tomatoes at me. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Well, other than the fact that we did talk about him for a bit today, the good news, Wendy, is that you and I don't give him any energy. Well, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, depart on that one a little bit and say I actually do give him energy. Oh, you do. But my energy is positive. Yeah, I send him energy saying, you know, things like, "Hey, you're the president of the United States, and you are the leader of our country." And I want you to put us in the best possible light. And whatever it is you can tap into in your own being in order to pull out the best that will look good and be good for our country, I'm supportive of that. Well, that's certainly a lot better than going negative by a lot. There is no doubt about that. And that's my position regardless who is the leader of our country. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to like or dislike who's leading our country. But I care about our country, and I love our country, and I'm proud to be an American. There's there's a good advertisement. <laughs> and so, therefore, I want whoever is leading our country to do whatever it takes to put us in the best possible light. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are going to go, well, Wendy, that ain't going to happen. You know what? I choose not to lend my thoughts there. Yeah. I choose to put my thoughts towards there is a lot of good coming out of what's happening, even if we can't see it right now. Oh, I think there is definitely going to be good. I mean, it it may not be good as the Trump folks and the Trump supporters think it's going to work out, but there's going to be good that's going to come out of this. And it may not be good as the way Trump opponents think it's going to come out, but it's still going to be good stuff. And once again, Wendy, we've used up our hour. <laughs> it's amazing how this happens. I at the clock. <laughs> can, can you imagine? But it's been a pleasure as usual. It has been. And let's do it again tomorrow. So please join us tomorrow as we uh, continue with our ongoing exploration of the law of attraction and the three laws of the universe. We'll see you tomorrow here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.